0: Habakkuk 3, 8 through 15. Uh, if we keep our finger there, I was going to read Luke chapter 24, um, just to highlight and show that all of Scripture is about Christ and His work, that it points to Him, and is not just stories for the sake of stories, but it is for our edification and for our building, building up in righteousness. Luke chapter 24, verses 25 and through 27. Luke twenty four twenty five says, And he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. So there Jesus tells these, these disciples on the road to Emmaus that um, they are foolish and slow of heart to believe what the prophets have spoken. And one of those prophets is Habakkuk himself. And these prophets spoke about the sufferings of Christ and the glories of Christ. And so he began with Moses, the book of Genesis, all the way through the prophet Malachi and explained to them the things that concerned himself in all of the scriptures. And in verse 32 it says, they said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us?" They heard the words of Christ that as the scriptures were explained to them, and their hearts burned within them, and I pray that that would be the same for us as well, that we would um, that our hearts would burn within us, that we would see Christ in these scriptures and so believe in him, and as a reminder. Habakkuk is uh, in the middle of his song in his uh his poem, his prayer, as it says in three one, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. This is his response to all of the judgments that God has declared upon Judah. And upon the nation of Babylon. It is God speaking through Habakkuk about all of the, the wonderful deeds and signs that God has done throughout Israel's history and the past, as well as what God would do through Christ in the future, both um, at the first coming of Christ and his second coming. And so this is where we are in verses 8 through 15. God's wonderful works, his, his signs and his miracles, the things that he did for the people, the people of Israel, God's people. Um, and he made them known <clears throat> and made these things known so that we would have faith in him and look ahead to the work that he would do in Christ. So we will see in these verses that God is glorified in the destruction of the wicked and in the salvation of the elect through Christ and God demonstrating his salvation through many mighty deeds. So let's look at verses 8 uh, through 12. It says, Did the Lord rage against the rivers, or was your anger against the rivers, or was your wrath against the sea that you rode on your horses, on your chariots of salvation? It brings to mind the, the deeds that God had done through um, Moses and Joshua in the Exodus and in the conquest. And it asks this rhetorical question: When God caused the, the river, uh, the Nile River to become blood or uh, the river of the Jordan to separate, or the Red Sea to part? Was God angry with those um, inanimate creatures, with with, uh, the river, the water, and the sea? Was God angry with those types of things? Of course not. God was not angry with the fish in the Nile so that he filled it with blood and they all died. God was angry with the Egyptian people, with Pharaoh, because of their wickedness, because of their sin against the Lord and their oppression of God's people. And the same thing with the, the people of Canaan. God was angry and had wrath against the people of Canaan. And so he parted the Jordan so that Israel could walk by, walk through on, on, on dry ground and so conquer the land of Canaan for righteousness sake. <clears throat> and so it is not, whenever we see um, God's judgment, um, anything in this life, whether it's um, through natural disasters like tornadoes or earthquakes or or anything that happens, wars and famines, floods, and even times of plenty. We cannot think that they're just acts of nature. We must have faith that they are acts of God. And it's because God is punishing sin and rewarding righteousness. He causes the sun to rise on the good and the evil and rain to fall on the good and the evil. God is the one doing these things. And so he compares it to God riding on horses, on chariots for salvation, just as a, a mighty warrior rides on horses to, to conquer lands, to conquer people in chariots. So that is what God does to save his people. <clears throat> that the, when he split the sea and, and then caused it to, to cave in again, he did it as if he was a mighty warrior riding on for salvation. In verse 9, it says, Your bow was made bare. The rods of chastisement were sworn. You cleaved the earth with rivers. A bow a bow for, that is uh, for war, a bow and arrow, when it is, is in its sheath and it's in its quiver, just like a sword is in its sheath, it means that it's not ready for war. The warrior is not ready to fight. But when the bow is made bare, then it is ready to, to loose an arrow. It is ready to, to, to go to war. And so that is who God is. God is, is a warrior uh, with a bow that is bare, ready to loose arrows. Um, his arrows are aimed at the wicked with rods of chastisement, that he has sworn. He has sworn that he will do these things. He has sworn that he will um, do good for his people. He made an oath to Abraham. He made an oath to Christ that he would um, be a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And he has also sworn that Christ would judge the world um, in righteousness. And all of these uh, things God has sworn that he will he will do, and it is certain. He cleaved the earth with rivers, just as when... Um, Uh, he caused rivers to flow from the rock when Moses struck the rock and when Moses struck the rock twice. He did it for the salvation of his people, for the, the, um, the good of his people. It says in verse 10, the mountains saw you and quaked. The downpour of water swept by. The deep uttered forth its voice. It lifted high its hands. The very mountains see the Lord and they quake and they shake at him. We think of mountains as very... Um, permanent and steady and steadfast they cannot be moved they cannot be changed nothing we can do in this life can move a mountain but when mountains see the lord they quake and they shake and they move Um, and they smoke just like as it it did on sinai and it's so it will be again on the last day when christ comes the mountains will quake the downpour of water swept by the deep uttered forth its voice it lifted high its hands The waters also have to obey the voice of the Lord. They utter forth its voice and it lifted high its hand. It raised up and separated whenever God commanded it. And says, sun and moon stood in their places. They went away at the light of your arrows, at the radiance of your gleaming spear. In indignation, you marched through the earth. In anger, you trampled the nations. God caused the very sun and moon to stand in their places. We cannot control the sun. We cannot command the sun to stop its circuit. It continues day by day, every day, as if we have no control over it, because we do not. And the same thing with the moon. It waxes and it wanes and it goes through all of its phases. But the Lord commands even the sun and moon. He's the one who created the sun and moon. And he caused them to stand in their places uh, to show his mighty power and the works that he was doing. His light, the light of his arrows and the radiance of his gleaming spear are brighter than the brightness of the sun and moon. And they have to obey and submit to him. And he marches throughout the earth in indignation. He marched through Canaan in indignation, trampling underfoot the nations for the sake of his people to show us uh, the, the power that he has and the salvation he would rot, He would bring about in Christ. So with these, with these verses, let us go back and look at them explicitly in the text that we have in the Old Testament and see all the mighty deeds that God has done, that he um, has wrought to, to display his power. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 7. Here is one of the plagues, which we heard about last time, that plague and pestilence go before and after the Lord. This is one of the plagues of Egypt. Exodus chapter 7, verse 14. And again we see that it's a judgment upon the wicked but it's it's done for the glory of the Lord and for the salvation of the righteous. Exodus 7:14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is stubborn. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water and station yourself to meet him on the bank of the Nile and you shall take in your hand the staff that was turned into a serpent. You shall say to him, "The Lord, the God of the Hebrews sent me to you, sent me to you saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But behold, you have not listened until now. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the water that is in the Nile with the staff that is in my hand, and it will be turned to blood. The fish that are in the Nile will die, and the Nile will become foul, and the Egyptians will find difficulty in drinking water from the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, over their streams, and over their pools and over their all their reservoirs of water, that they may become blood, and there will be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. So Moses and Aaron did even as the Lord had commanded, and he lifted up the staff and struck the water that was in the Nile, in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, and all the water that was in the Nile was turned to blood. The fish that were in the Nile died, and the Nile became foul, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. And the blood was through all the land of Egypt. So here we see that <clears throat> God is not angry with the rivers. He's not angry with the Nile or the fish and caused them to die, but he's angry with the Egyptians. It says in verse 14, Pharaoh's heart is stubborn. He refuses to let the people go. It is because of Pharaoh's wickedness that God caused a very river, to flow with blood. And can you imagine what it would be like to see a river, a big river, a very large river that provides life, and instead it was full of death, full of blood. And that is a, a severe affliction on the people. The Nile River is their life. It is, what's, is what, how they live. But God turned it into death for them, and this is his, his righteous judgments. Um, and he did it to show that he was the God of Israel and that he was had power over all of um, Egypt's land. Um, he is not a mere uh, idol, but he is the God of heaven. Um, Exodus chapter 14, and we'll see what God did in the Red Sea. Exodus 14, after the plagues have been finished and the firstborn of Egypt had been killed, they were finally um, able to leave and they plundered Egypt. And then God made Pharaoh's heart stubborn again, hard-hearted so that he would pursue Israel so that he could show his power and drown them in the sea. Exodus chapter 14 and verse 15, or sorry, verse 13, Exodus fourteen thirteen. But Moses said to the people, do not fear, stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. As for you, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, and the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. As for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen." Then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I am honored through Pharaoh, through his chariots and his horsemen. The angel of God, who had been going before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel, and there was the cloud along with the darkness, yet it gave light at night. Thus the one did not come near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, so the waters were divided. The sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Then the Egyptians took up the pursuit, and all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen went in after them into the midst of the sea. At the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve, and he made them drive with difficulty. So the Egyptians said, Let us flee from Israel, for the Lord is fighting for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may come back over the Egyptians, over their chariots and their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal state at daybreak, while the Egyptians were fleeing right into it. Then the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, even Pharaoh's entire army that had gone into the sea after them. Not even one of them remained. But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. God says that he will be honored through the destruction of Pharaoh, um, that he will be honored through Pharaoh. The Egyptians will know that he is the Lord. He is the one Who rules heaven and earth, who saves his people. They have chariots and horsemen, but God's chariots and God's horsemen are stronger. They had chariots and horsemen to chase and oppress the people of God, but God had his chariots and his horsemen that rode over the sea and trampled the Egyptians under the sea, and they were dead on the seashore. And what is the result? The result is that the sons of Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore, and they saw the great power of the Lord. And this is the same thing that we must have. We must see the great power that the Lord has used against wicked people, and we must fear him as they feared him. And they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. We must have that same uh, faith and believe that God uh, will destroy the wicked and will save his people. Exodus chapter 17, after they have uh, left and are entering into the wilderness we see that God brings another miracle, another sign, through the rock. And we know from 1 Corinthians 10 that the rock is Christ. Exodus 17, verse 1. Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin, according to the command of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses and said, Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do to this people? A little more, and they will stone me. (coughs) Then the Lord said to Moses, Pass before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand your staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall, will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of, of Israel. He named the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel, and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? So there God provides water for his thirsty people though they are quarreling and they are testing the Lord, he still brings um, the water out to show his power and to judge them as well. Um, He uses this to testify against them later on. But it shows his power that he can provide um, water from a rock. He can take water and dry it up into dry ground, and he can take dry rocks and turn them into water. He is the one who controls all of creation, and he does it to glorify himself for his power. Uh, And once more, Psalm 78. Showing that God's power in um, the Red Sea and in bringing water from the rock. That this is what Habakkuk is talking about when he talks about uh, cleaving the earth with rivers and causing the, the rivers to become dry lands. Psalm 78, verse 1. <clears throat> Listen, O oh my people, to my instruction, and incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable, I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord, and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. For he has established for he established a testimony in Jacob, and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children, that they should put their confidence in God, and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart, and whose spirit was not faithful to God. The sons of Ephraim were archers equipped with bows, yet they turned back in the day of battle. They did not keep the covenant of God, and refused to walk in his law. They forgot his deeds, and his miracles which he had shown them, He wrought wonders before their fathers in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through, and he made the waters stand up like a heap. Then he led them with a cloud by day and all the night with a light of fire. He split the rocks in the wilderness and gave them abundant drink like the ocean depths. He brought forth streams also from the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. So there we are told not to be like the people of Israel who saw these miracles but did not believe. That is, most of the people of Israel, there were people who did believe, though there were few, the remnant was few. We were to, to, in fact, believe in these miracles, even though we haven't seen them, that God did these things and he did them to show his power that he can um, cause water to come out of rock in the, in the wilderness so we can trust in him for all things when... <clears throat> We are going through various things in life, but especially knowing that we live in a wilderness and we are sojourning in this life, looking for the life to come, and that we are provided the rock, which is Christ, who gives us living waters, eternal, eternal life and eternal waters. Uh, since we're in the Psalms, let's go to Psalm 18 to show that the, the mountains themselves quake at the presence of the Lord. Psalm chapter eighteen, Psalm number eighteen, verses seven to eight. Psalm eighteen seven. Then the earth shook and quaked, and the foundations of the mountains were trembling and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up out of his nostrils, and fire from his mouth devoured it. Coals were kindled by it. So there we see that. The, the very earth, the foundations of the earth, the foundations of the mountains were shaking um, because of, of the Lord who was, who was visiting them. And Psalm 68, Psalm 68 as well, again, telling, showing us all of the works that God has done for the people of Israel, these miracles to show his mighty power. And so we can know and have no excuse to believe in the work that he has done in Christ. Psalm 68 Psalm 68, verse 7. 68, 7 says, O God, when you went uh, forth before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth quaked. The heavens also dropped rain at the presence of God. Sinai itself quaked at the presence of God, the God of Israel. You shed abroad a a plentiful rain, O God. You confirmed your inheritance when it was parched. Your creatures settled in it. You provided in your goodness for the poor, O God. When God visited Sinai, it quaked and it smoked, and not, uh, the people could not even touch it, lest they would die. This is how powerful and, and terrifying the Lord is, and this is the one we must fear and the one our enemies must fear. Um, going over to verse 15 in chapter 68, or, or Psalm 68, Psalm 68, 15, it says, A mountain of God is the mountain of Bashan, a mountain of many peaks is the mountain of Bashan. Why do you look with envy, O mountains, with many peaks, at the mountain which God has desired for his abode? Surely the Lord will dwell there forever. The chariots of God are myriads, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them as at Sinai in holiness. You have ascended on high, you have led captive your captives. You have received gifts among men, even among the rebellious also, that the Lord God may dwell there. Again, showing that mountains are trembling at the Lord, and that God chooses... Um, a mountain to dwell forever, and that is Mount Zion, the people of the Lord. But he was among them at Sinai, and his chariots are the angels, among thousands among thousands, and they do his bidding. And they will um, gather together the elect, and they will also um, judge the wicked. Going on to to Joshua and the things that God did through Joshua in the conquest, let's turn to Joshua chapter 3. After the, the people of Israel were brought out of the wilderness and after they rebelled and were judged for 40 years, God does bring them into the land of Canaan, not through Moses, but through Joshua. And even there, he did mighty miracles and many signs with them, not to show that it was not by their own power and their own might that God, that they would uh, accomplish um, obtaining the, the land, but it was through God's might that they, that they were accomplishing it. Joshua chapter 3 <clears throat> Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and he and all the sons of Israel set out from Shittim and came to the Jordan, and they lodged there before they crossed. At the end of three days, the officers went through the midst of the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, "When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God with a Levitical priest carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. However, there shall be between you and it a distance about of about two thousand cubits by measure." Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spoke to the priest, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, and cross over ahead of the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant, and went ahead of the people. Now the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. You shall, moreover, command the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Then Joshua said to the sons of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will assuredly dispossess uh, from before you the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Hivite, the Perizzite, the Girgashite, the Amorite, and the Jebusite. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over ahead of you into the Jordan. Now then, take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man for each tribe. It shall come about when the soles of the feet of the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan will be cut off, and the waters which are flowing down from above will stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan, with the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and when those who carried the ark came into the Jordan, and the feet of the priests carrying the ark were dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks all the days of harvest, the waters which were flowing down from above stood and rose up in one heap, a great distance away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathon, And those which were flowing down toward the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, were completely cut off. So the people crossed opposite Jericho. And the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel crossed on dry ground until all the nation had finished crossing crossing the Jordan. As soon as the priests um, touched the water with the soles of their feet, the Jordan separated. As A river flows from higher waters down to lower waters. In this case, the Jordan flows down into the Salt Sea, the Dead Sea as we call it today. And so above, where the water is flowing down from, the water is gathered up into a heap as if they were piling up high. And they piled up high for a very long distance. And that's obviously not anything that happens naturally. Only God can do something like that. This is not just a regular dam that people build. This is something that God did miraculously, instantaneously. And then when it was time, the water resumed again, resumed its course. And so under... As it's going below, the water ceased and there was, it was dry ground for <clears throat> the, the people of Israel to walk through. And to show that this is what, um, that this shows uh, people to be afraid of the Lord, that he's doing these miraculous things. We'll read on in, in chapter four, or sorry, chapter five, verses one, Joshua five, one, after this happened and they, all of Israel crossed, it says this. Now it came about when all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard how the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan before the sons of Israel until they had crossed, that their hearts melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the sons of Israel. All of the kings of the Amorites and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that God dried up the waters of the Jordan, that God did a miraculous work. And they feared, their hearts melted, and they had no spirit in them any longer. And because of what the sons of Israel were about to do, knowing that the Lord was with them. They were were not just a nation conquering um, conquering, uh, by themselves, but the Lord himself was with them. Let's move on to Joshua chapter 10. Uh, Going on to Joshua 10 to show what what Habakkuk is talking about with the sun standing still. This is while they are in the land of Canaan and they're conquering and they're going to war. They had made a covenant with the Gibeonites and then the Gibeonites are being attacked. And so they ask Joshua to come to their rescue. So Joshua chapter 10 and verse 6, we see what God did for Israel at that time. Joshua 10 verse 6. Then the men of Gibeon sent word to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal, saying, Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites that live in the hill country have assembled against us. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the valiant warriors. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not one of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came upon them suddenly by marching all night from Gilgal. And the Lord confounded them before Israel, and he slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, and pursued them by the way of the ascent of Beth-horon, and struck them as far as Azekah and Machedah. As they fled from before Israel, while they were at the descent of Beth-horon, the Lord threw large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were, more, there were more who died from the hailstones than those whom the sons of Israel killed with the sword. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the sons of Israel. And he said at the sight of Israel, O sun, stand still at Gibeon, and O moon in the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, until the nation avenged themselves by their, of their enemies. Is it not written in the book of Jashar? And the sun stopped in the middle of the sky, and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. There was no day like that before it, or after it, when the Lord listened to the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. Then Joshua and all Israel with him turned returned to the camp to Gilgal. So here we see that in a battle, God causes the sun and the moon to stand still until the nation avenged themselves on their enemies. He did it until the full vengeance was taken out upon the enemies of the Lord. That is why he caused the sun and moon to stand still. The very creation that he created that changes every single day, he caused to stand still and there was no... Uh, No other day like it. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky for a whole day and it stayed there so that God could rain his hailstones on those um, people who were fighting against his people. Again, to show his power that he is the one uh, judging uh, before his people. They trampled the nations when they conquered the land of Canaan. And this is what God did. He did it for them. He's the one who went before them. It was nothing that, hap- that came from them that gave them the strength to do it. But it was the Lord who was fighting for them. Uh, returning to Habakkuk chapter 3, we'll move on to the next verses. Habakkuk 3, verses 13 through 15. He says, You went forth for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You struck the head of the house of the evil to lay him open from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own spears the head of his throngs. They stormed in to scatter us. Their exultation was like those who devour the oppressed in secret. You trampled on the sea with your horses, on the surge of many waters. Here we see why God judges all of the nations and how he glorifies himself also for the salvation of his people. It says you went forth for the salvation of your people for the salvation of your anointed. when it says anointed, that's the same Hebrew word that we have for Messiah or the Greek word that we say Christ. This is Christ himself. this is the anointed one that Habakkuk is looking forward looking forward to. He is talking about the salvation the salvation that we have in Christ, what God has done through and for Christ. And it says there also you struck the head of the house of the evil. To lay him open from thigh to neck. We see that it says to lay him open from thigh to neck. So it is a singular, um, it's a singular word. The him is a, a singular pronoun referring to evil. So when it says the head of the house of the evil, it should be translated evil one or wicked one. And so who is the head of the house of the evil one that was laid open from thigh to neck? Is it not Satan himself, the devil, the one whom Christ came uh, to destroy as it says in first John three eight that Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. This is this is the one that um, Habakkuk is talking about, striking the head of the house of the evil to lay him open from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own spears the head of his throngs, they stormed in to scatter us, their exultation was like those who devour the oppressed in secret. Um, God causes his enemies to be pierced with their own weapons they have their own spears and God turns them against against each other. Even when they storm in to scatter the people of God and their exaltation, they're rejoicing as like those who devour the oppressed in secret. When When someone, an evil man, seeks to devour someone and oppress someone, they do it in secret. They rejoice. They're glad because they're able to do it without getting caught. And that is like all of the enemies of God during this life. But on the last day, God will cause their own spears to pierce them through and he will um, crush them on their head and destroy them completely. And that's what it finishes with in in verse 15. You trampled on the sea with your horses on the surge of many waters. The nations are like many waters seeking to flood the people of God. But God is the one who made the sea. God is the one who can trample on the sea with his horses just like he did... uh, for the people of Israel in the Exodus, in Exodus chapter 15, uh, 14, that he he is able to trample in the sea with his horses on the surge of many waters. He is the one trampling them underfoot. So let's go to some other passages to show what Habakkuk is talking about. That he's talking about Christ and Christ's defeat of Satan and all of our enemies, especially on the last day, both at his first coming and his death and his resurrection and his second coming when he comes to judge the world in righteousness. Micah chapter 4. Micah chapter 4, verse 13. Actually, let's start in verse 11. <clears throat> Micah four eleven. And now many nations have been assembled against you who say, Let her be polluted, and let your eyes gloat over Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord, and they do not understand his purpose. For he has gathered them like sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, daughter of Zion. For your horn I will make iron, and your hoofs I will make bronze, that you may pulverize many peoples, that you may devote to the Lord their unjust gain, and their wealth to the Lord of all the earth. The, the wicked nations, especially on the last day when Christ will return, they assemble against Zion, the people of God. That is, even us today, uh, as Christians, many nations gather around Christians to persecute them. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord, that this is God's purpose. It is God's purpose that they gather against the people of God. And why? Just like he did with Pharaoh, that, so that God is honored in, with Pharaoh and his destruction. It's the same thing with our enemies today, and especially on the last day. He will <clears throat> cause us to arise and make us glorious and make our horn iron and our hoofs bronze. And we will trample nations underneath our feet. And this is what Christ will do. He is the one who will judge the nations. He's the one who makes us Uh, makes our hoofs like bronze. He's the one who will make us righteous and the judges of all the earth with him. Uh, Moving on to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 24, just as God caused the sun and moon to stand still in the days of Joshua, there will be signs in the heavens as well when Christ returns. Matthew 24 verse 29 Matthew 24:29 Jesus says, "But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then the sign of the son of man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory." And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. Just as in the days of Joshua, God causes the the different things in creation like the sun and moon to display his power. So he will do it again on the day that Christ returns to show that his son, his only begotten son will come to conquer the world. And moving on to Revelation to show that this is that this trampling of the nations will happen on the last day <clears throat> when all things will be accomplished. Revelation 19 shows that this will be accomplished in Christ. This is the anointed one that God went forth for salvation. This is the Christ that God went for salvation. Revelation 19 verse 11. Revelation 19:11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in mid heaven, Come, assemble for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves and small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was seized and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone and the rest were killed with the sword which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh. All of the the nations, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, and small and great, and kings, they gathered together to make war against Christ Christ and against his people. Who is the army of Christ except his people, the ones whom he has saved? They were gathered against him. But what happens? The beast is seized, and the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence... um, they were thrown alive into the lake of fire, and the rest were killed with the sword which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. Christ will destroy all of the wicked nations um, and all the earth, when he comes again, and he will trample them. He will take the head of the house of the evil one, the beast, and the false prophet, and he will pierce them with their own spears, and judge them. And we know that this is what was prophesied. This is what God prophesied in Genesis three fifteen that um, to the woman that this, his, her seed would be bruised on the heel, but he would bruise the serpent on his, on his head. And this is what, this is where it is fulfilled ultimately, both in the death and resurrection of Christ and in his second coming when he destroys, uh, the wicked nations. As also says in Romans sixteen twenty that the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath our feet. Um, also let's turn to Hebrews chapter two. Again, we said that in 1 John 3, 8, that Christ came to destroy the works of the devil and that this is the one Habakkuk was looking forward to. It's not enough that he's, he's looking for a salvation from the Babylonian nations because he actually knows that the destruction of Babylon will come. But Habakkuk is looking to a greater reward, a greater inheritance, and that is the the salvation that comes from Christ. That's the salvation he's looking for. He's not looking for an earthly salvation, but an eternal one. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Hebrews two fourteen says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. It says in verse 14 that, he came to render powerless him who had the power of death. That is the devil. The devil has the power of death because he tempted Adam and Eve to sin and the wages of sin is death. Romans 6:23. The devil is the one who had power over death. This is his sting, what he has, uh, his greatest weapon. But how did Christ defeat him? And says also in verse 14 that through death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death. It is by... Satan's very instrument death that Christ defeats him that Christ crushes his head Satan crushed or or bruised Christ's heel but through that through that bruising of the heel Christ's heel bruised the head of Satan and crushed him and through that he frees those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives and who does he do this for he does it for the descendant of Abraham not for angels not for the wicked men, but for the descendant of Abraham, his elect. And that is the case throughout all of Scripture. That's what happened in in the Exodus with the Red Sea and in the conquest of Canaan, that God saved his people, but he also judged the wicked. And we'll finish with Revelation 15, that this is God's purpose throughout um, all, all ages, that his people would be saved, that they would have faith in Christ, and that they would be made new especially on on the last day and when they inherit the new heavens and new earth but the wicked would be judged and see and all would see God's mighty power Revelation 15 verse 1 Then I saw another sign in heaven great and marvelous seven angels who had seven plagues which are the last because in them the wrath of God is finished and I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire and those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name standing on the sea of glass holding harps of God and they sang the song of Moses the bondservant of God and sang and the song of the lamb saying great and marvelous are your works o lord god the almighty righteous and true are your ways king of the nations who will not fear o lord and glorify your name for you alone are holy for all the nations will come and worship before you for your righteous acts have been revealed after these things i looked and the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was opened and the seven angels who had the seven plagues came out of the temple clothed in linen, clean and bright, and girded around their chests with golden sashes. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. God's works are great and marvelous. He is the Lord God, the Almighty. His ways are righteous and true, and who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify his name? He alone is holy, and we can only uh, believe this uh, through Christ, and know and also believe that Christ will come to judge all of the nations. May the word of Christ richly dwell within us. Amen.